0: Coming up on this episode of Inside the Epicenter. We found that almost 70% of Americans believe, what I believe for sure, that if Iran gets nuclear weapons, it's going to nuke Israel and bring about a second Holocaust. So that's why we need to pray for the people here.
1: What exactly does it mean to pray for the peace of Jerusalem? And what are some of the scriptures that lead us and teach us how to pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Hi, welcome to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today I'm joined by Joel Rosenberg from Jerusalem. And Joel, I want to just say we've been getting feedback on this podcast for months now. And uh, one of the things that people keep coming back to, either in referring to it or asking for us to explain it a little bit more, is this idea of praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Can you help us uh, understand this today and and maybe some of the ways in which we can find in the scriptures encouragement to do this?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think one of the challenges of this passage, Psalm 122, is I don't quite understand All that involved. I mean, I can't just pray for this every time. Isn't there more to be praying for? So let's start with the passage itself so people can just hear the word of God, right? Faith comes by hearing, right? And hearing by the word of Christ. And sometimes by abbreviating the phrase down to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're actually leaving out some parts. That is the critical phrase. But so let's start with the passage and then we'll unpack it. So this is one of the Psalms of the Ascent, Mm -hmm. meaning this is when Jews. Uh, were required from all over the world, well, at least certainly all over Israel, to come up to Jerusalem from every village, every town, and every sector of Israel three times a year for the holidays, from the feasts. And so from any direction, you have to go up to Jerusalem because uh, Jerusalem is up in the mountains. So as you're coming up, as you're ascending, You sing these songs, and uh, one of them is Psalm 122. So this is a King David writing, and he says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem that is built... As a city that is compact together, which of course, if making aside, anyone that's been to Jerusalem, the old city, it is cozy. <laughs> uh, there are <laughs> labyrinthian uh, alleyways and aromas, and it's it's definitely built compact together. Jerusalem is built as a city that's compact together, to which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord. An ordinance for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. As we mm-hmm. go to Jerusalem, we're supposed to be thanking the Lord for who He is, what He's done. And David says, for there in Jerusalem, thrones were set for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. And that gets us to verse six, the famous verse, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And then it gives you the prayer So, in quotes. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls Hmm. and prosperity within your palaces, Hmm. unquote. So that's the prayer, um, praying that those who love Jerusalem and want its security and want its prosperity will be blessed and and prosper. And uh, David goes on to say in verse eight, for the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you. Hmm. And then he goes on in verse nine to say, for the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good, Hmm. meaning the good of the people and the city of Jerusalem. Well, that gives us some tracks to run on, right? Jerusalem is a city that has been attacked, conquered, reconquered, razed to the ground, mm-hmm. rebuilt over and over and over and over again. I think more than somewhere in the order of two dozen times has the city been conquered and captured and rebuilt over the millennia. And, and you think, why? Is Jerusalem built on the highest mountain in the world? no. Is it built on the most beautiful river on the world? No. It, there isn't even a river here. It's not just not the most beautiful. Right. It's nowhere near water. There's one spring. Okay? <laughs> so is Jerusalem sitting on massive reserves of gold and silver and precious metals? No. Diamonds? No. Oil? No. Natural gas? No. Why exactly is everyone trying to conquer it? Right? And, and the very simple answer is, God has said repeatedly in the scriptures that I have chosen Jerusalem as my own. Hmm. It's my city. And because God has chosen it as his city, Satan has chosen it as his city, right? Satan is 180 degrees opposite of everything God is and wants. Satan wants to destroy it. So if God says, I'm going to choose that city to bless Jerusalem, Satan says, I'm going to curse it. I'm going to give grant peace to Yerushalayim, the city of peace, Satan said, I'm going to take that peace away. And so it's satanic, hmm. the constant, never ending assault on the peace of the city. It's a spiritual conflict. I live here on the south side of Jerusalem. And I can tell you, even as we record this, we're having a big flare up. It's Ramadan sure. and Easter and Passover. It's All these three religions are converging in our highest holy days. Hmm. And there is a lot of conflict in Jerusalem at the moment. Hopefully by the time this runs, things are quiet and, and as people pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But I'm just saying it is almost never-ending. It comes in spurts, but it is so consistent and so relentless. There are people who hate the city or think it's there and want to kill everybody who you know they don't agree with. It's so consistent. There are nations like the Islamic Republic of Iran who want to nuke us. Right? We did that poll and right. we found that almost 70% of Americans – believe what I believe for sure, that if Iran gets nuclear weapons, it's going to nuke Israel and bring about a second Holocaust. So that's why we need to pray for the people here. Yes, for geopolitical peace and security, but not just geopolitical, certainly spiritual peace as well.
1: Well, Joel, how does it differ then? You know, Because I think uh, for all of us who believe the message of Jesus in the Bible is that we should be praying for peace And the Prince of Peace to rule over the entire world. What's the distinct command here for us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and why do you think that is?
0: Well, I think that, again, since God considers Jerusalem his city, Hmm. he's saying, I want you to care about my city uh, the way you care about your hometown, Right? (laughs) Most people love their hometown. Even if they're far away from it, they feel a little nostalgic if they hear its name or they see a photo or they see their friends on Facebook who are having some event in their hometown. They're thinking, oh, I love that town. I mean, hopefully you have fond memories. People have fond memories of their hometown. For God, it's not where he's from, but it's where he's chosen to live. Okay? So, and he sent his son. Jesus, the Messiah, to be born just outside of Jerusalem in Bethlehem Ephrata, which is, I mean, literally a five-minute drive outside of the core center city of Jerusalem. And he sent his Messiah to preach and to live and to minister and to die and rise again in Jerusalem. Yeah. And this is where he's going, Jesus is going to come back and rule over the entire planet from Jerusalem, not from Washington, not from Moscow, right. not Beijing, not London, not Brussels, not New York, not you know, Rio, not Tokyo. He's going to return. Jesus is going to return to Jerusalem because it's his city. And he cares about it. And uh, I think any city that you've been resurrected from, you're going to care about, right? He (laughs) wept over Jerusalem, right? Normally, if you described God as a chicken, it would seem heretical. But Jesus himself says, I'm like a hen that's been trying to gather you as chicks, you residents of Jerusalem. I want to comfort you. I want to care for you. I want to provide for you. I want to take care of you. And you wouldn't have me. You rejected me. And that's sad. And so all those reasons— Jerusalem is important to God, therefore it should be important to us. And David, who was the king of Israel and reigned from Jerusalem, he explains his passion, which comes from God. One other point, and that is the gospel message, of course, originated here. This is where the death and resurrection of Jesus happened. Again, as we record this, my wife and I just were at the sunrise service here in Jerusalem at the empty tomb Hmm. with 1,500 other followers of Jesus worshiping something that's empty. Why is something empty worth celebrating? Because Jesus fulfilled the prophecies that the Messiah would rise from the dead. And so in Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus say to his disciples, just before he's going to go back to the Father, he says, you will be my witnesses. Right. Where? In Jerusalem first, (laughs) then Judea, then Samaria, And then to the very ends of the earth, the very ends of the earth where you live, uh, Carl. (laughs) So between you and me is Jerusalem and the ends of the earth. And obviously one end, but there are others. And so the gospel message went forth from Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the last city ever mentioned in the Bible. Hmm. So it means that not only is Jesus going to reign here, but all of human history is going to refocus, recalibrate, reconverge on this country of Israel and this city of Jerusalem. And therefore, the gospel is going to be coming back from here. The gospel has been pretty well preached at the ends of the earth. Right. Not so well here in the epicenter. So for all those reasons, God's saying, don't forget the city that's important to me. I want it to yeah. be important to you. And, you know, for many thousands of years, Jews said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Right. And next year in Jerusalem at their Passover when they because they were spread out all over the world and they wanted to be home. Right. But many Christians have not been taught historically why Jerusalem is so important, and yet more in the last you know 150 200 years than ever, but it's central. Yeah, it's central to God's heart.
1: Yeah, well, we got to take a quick break right now, Joel. But I want to get back to that in a moment. Why Christians today should take praying for Jerusalem seriously? So we're gonna we're gonna get back to some of that. Let's take a quick break right now, though. Our verse of the day. Is obviously Psalm 122, 6, and 7. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. Our prayer requests today come also from this passage that there would be peace in today's Jerusalem among Palestinians and Israelis and among believers and non-believers, that peace would reign. Second, that prosperity for all who live in Jerusalem would be a blessing, that there would be those that care and reach into poverty so that they can help bring prosperity to people. And that leadership in Jerusalem and throughout Israel and the Holy Land. And third, pray for the leadership of Israel and all those that care about Jerusalem, that they would establish policies that would encourage people to live peacefully with one another. Well, Joel, we're we're back, and I think we've established that this isn't command to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It isn't just for ancient Israelite pilgrims to Jerusalem, but it's for something for all of us as Christians in the world today should do. But some feel that you know praying for peace is just really meaning the absence of war, but maybe we could go into saying what does really the concept of peace in Hebrew mean, and is it just the absence of war, or does it have other implications?
0: Yeah, that's a great question and a great topic. So the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And it comes from a root, which is, there's also a word shalem, which means complete or whole. Hmm. And the idea of peace in Hebrew means, yes, it certainly means an absence of conflict, that there's calm, but it means that there's wholeness, that there's completeness, that there's not division. And you take that metaphorically even into strife and bitterness. And so there's a geopolitical way of thinking about wholeness and completeness and peace. And then there's a spiritual dynamic. And then there's a a social dynamic. And there's a family dynamic, all of which is what God means means. in other words, when you live in a city that's compact together, everybody's in their, each other's business, right? You don't have a lot of elbow room. And so, you know, that can create conflict. Forget the Iranian regime that wants to, you know, nuke us all. What about the guy next door that like, you know, is uh, encroaching on your personal space or, and this is a divided city, not politically. It's a unified city under Israeli law, but half the city is uh, Palestinian, what's known as East Jerusalem. These are either Israeli- Arabs who have Israeli citizenship and full rights, or they're Arabs who've rejected that citizenship and they want to think of themselves as Palestinian residents and citizens. They want Jerusalem actually to be the capital of the Palestinian state that they want to form. And so there's a lot of tension. uh, And it's an amazing city. It's a complicated city, but it's one that's actually, people do live in harmony most of the time, but then there are these flare-ups and there are bad seeds. There are elements that instigate conflict and then things have to be settled down again. So there's all those issues. And of course, you know, in the Bible, geopolitical peace is not the thing that God promises to focus on most. We do pray for it, but Often God describes, right? We, we've described in the last podcast about Jesus saying there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. So why are we praying for peace? If you're – Jesus, if you're telling us there's going to be war and conflict and, and even revolution and, and insurrections, and depending on the translations, you're like, well, then why – revolution is one of those words in, mm-hmm. in uh, Luke 21. Jesus, if you're saying there's going to be all this conflict in the world and, and why are we praying for peace? Because you're basically saying we're not going to get it. Hmm. And here's the short, simple reason. We are supposed to pray for geopolitical peace. It's the right thing to do. And in fact, Jesus talks in Matthew 5 about blessed are the peacemakers. Mm -hmm. But sometimes God says, I want you to pray for it, but I'm not going to grant it for some period of time. Why? Because sometimes God allows Satan to instigate war and murder and trauma. He, God allows it. Why? Because he wants people to be unsettled. He Mm -hmm. wants people to be shaken Mm -hmm. and to realize that life is fragile. Yeah. And you need to know where you're going to go when you die. And you need to know how to have peace in your heart and in your life and in your home, even when there is chaos and trauma and evil and wickedness all around you. How can you establish peace uh, in your home and in mm-hmm. your relationship, in your marriage? God cares more about those things than he does about geopolitical peace. He uses war and trauma and insurrection and all those things to shake people, to get them to realize that whatever they're depending on other than Jesus, politically, philosophically, religiously, whatever, economically, other than Jesus is not going to satisfy. It's not going to bring peace. And one last point. Ultimately, God's first and foremost issue is to bring peace between us and God, Mm -hmm. right? When we're filled with sin and we haven't said yes to Jesus' forgiveness, we're basically at war with God. We may not actively feel like we're, you know, fighting God, but effectively we We are distant. We are at war because at least we don't have peace because we haven't reconciled. He's offered us forgiveness. We've said no. So his goal primarily, God's goal is bring peace between us and him through Jesus, the Messiah. And basically he'll allow everything else to go into chaos if he sovereignly chooses to give us more of an incentive to say, listen, everything you're trusting and you're depending on, it's not working. You need me. Mm. And then I will give you what the Bible calls peace. That passes all understanding. Hmm. Even if everything's chaotic and horrible around you, you can have a divine, God-given, spirit-given peace that doesn't yeah. make any sense, but is not only a blessing to you and your family, but is a witness to everyone around you going, Why do you seem so peaceful and calm? What do you know that I don't know?
1: Yeah, I've heard that shalom. Uh, in that sense, is the peace that passes understanding is like being at the eye of a hurricane. You know, the world itself can be swirling and creating incredible destruction and incredible pain. But if we are concentrating and praying around the peace of Jerusalem, it's a peace that passes understanding. It defies description why someone in the midst of all of those personal and public traumas and chaos can experience peace. And I think, Joel, maybe you can comment on this. When we pray for peace, it's almost as if our mind allows us to focus on the ideal of the peace of Jerusalem, peace of God, and it gives us a greater awareness and a greater sensitivity to the pain and chaos around us. Because when we concentrate on something so positive in that way, the the biblical model of shalom we can see how absent shalom is from the rest of the world around us. So I think praying for the peace of Jerusalem is for Jerusalem, but it's also for us to sensitize us and to give us a greater awareness. Would you maybe think about some of those things?
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I, you know, what's interesting, Carl, is it's been interesting for me and Lynn to move to Jerusalem a few years Mm ago. Uh, When we moved to Israel, we didn't start here in Jerusalem. And I I always wanted to live in Jerusalem and uh, my kids wanted to live near the beach near the Mediterranean, because they wanted to learn to surf. And they did. Um, and they wanted, you know, just to be near the beach. And my wife, uh, Lynn, grew up on the Jersey Shore, and so she loves the water as well and the sand. And uh, I grew up in Syberacuse and in upstate New York. Where it was all super cold. and I, you know So I wasn't quite as much as a beach fan. I do love it. But Jerusalem, I mean, it's, it's magical. It's mystical. It's mythical. I wanted to be here. But, you know, one of the things I learned in not living in Jerusalem was how little time Jesus spent in Jerusalem. Hmm. He came, of course, for the festivals three times a year. He was faithful and he ministered here, but there was a lot of conflict. There was political conflict, right? The Romans were in charge, occupying the, the territory, and the religious leadership of the Jewish community hated Jesus, most of them. Some of them actually were quite interested in Jesus, right? But at the top of the top, they weren't fans. And so Jesus came to Jerusalem, but he spent most of his time outside of Jerusalem because there was so much spiritual warfare and political intrigue in Jerusalem, and there was so much more openness of the people outside Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. But the reason I say that, Carl, is to pick up on your point, which is when Lynn and I actually moved to Jerusalem, now we're praying for the peace of Jerusalem in Jerusalem. And it's interesting. I mean, I'm not saying anyone has to do this, right? Because most of us don't get that opportunity. But to pray for the peace of Jerusalem here has really been about, wow, yes, I do want to pray for the physical security of my city because I live here. My wife lives here. My sons are here. Um, one of my sons is here and he's newly married. And so they're here. Of course, I want them to be safe. Right. But I also want them to, uh, and, and our neighbors, I want our to have peace with each other and family dynamics. I want there to be the peace in my home. If there's tension with my kids or with my wife, that's not, that's no fun and it's not a good witness. So Lord bring peace here. But then you think, wow, there's almost everybody you meet. They don't know Jesus. Hmm. They don't believe that even though they believe that he historically existed and they knew that he existed here in Jerusalem, but they don't think of jesus as the messiah they're not following him and they don't, they've really never heard his story even though it's a jerusalem story it's so you know the death the burial the resurrection it all happened right here and yet people can go by just like they would in new york or california or or anywhere in the world and and miss it so i say all that because to pray for the peace of Jerusalem in Jerusalem is a reminder that it's really the same prayer as when I grew up in little Fairport, New York, or went to Syracuse University or lives in Washington, D.C. You're praying for your city, your town, your home, your neighbors, blessings at every level that we've discussed, but also that they would come to know peace with God, that they would at least hear the gospel. How are they going to believe if they haven't even heard? How are they going to hear unless somebody tells them? How is somebody going to tell them unless they're motivated and sent to? by the scriptures and by other believers and trained and encouraged disciples to do it. And that's true everywhere. So you hear pastors and they're right, wherever you are, that's your Jerusalem. And if you want to be a blessing, why don't you start in your own Jerusalem, your own hometown, your home, your own neighborhood, and then work your way out to the ends of the earth as you minister. And it's fascinating actually to do it here, but praying for peace is not just about geopolitics. It certainly is. And when I ask people, the Josh foot asked people, Hey, you know, there are terrorists who want to blow us up and there are, regimes that want to nuke us so please do pray for peace we mean it but we mean it in a much broader way also it's not just about it's not just about geopolitics or neighborhood security you can have that and still go to hell how is that helpful yeah so we need peace with god most importantly so what you're
1: saying really is that praying for the peace of jerusalem includes praying that the prince of peace will reveal himself in the hearts of the jewish people and and all people really praying for
0: absolutely yeah And this is a stumbling block for my people, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, because the Messiah was described by the Hebrew prophet Isaiah in chapter 9 as coming as, you know, uh, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, right? The government's going to be on his shoulders and he'll be called the Prince of Peace among other titles. And so the many Jews and many Jews that I've met and here in Israel and around the world, they'll tell me, look, Joel, you believe Jesus is the Messiah. But the proof that Jesus is not the Messiah is that there isn't peace in the world. If he's the Prince of Peace, you know, hello, where is the peace? I don't see the peace. And that is a theological argument that has to be answered. Mm-hmm. And it's answered by what I just described, which is God does promise through Jesus to ultimately bring a global geopolitical peace that we all long for Mm -hmm. and justice and make things right in the world because it's clearly not right now. And it's horrible, the corruption and the evil and the wickedness. Jesus is coming. The prophecies are clear. He's going to come and he's going to make all things right. Mm -hmm. But it goes back to this point that God's objective is not primarily geopolitical peace and righteousness in that sense of calm and order. He wants that, but he will use the lack of peace to get people to realize where is peace really found? How do I find peace with God? How do I find peace with myself? How do I find peace with my family and my neighbors? Because ultimately that is not in our hands in a sense that you can't force it, but unless you have a relationship with the God of the universe, with the Prince of Peace, you can't have peace with God or peace with yourself, or peace with your family. So good luck helping be a peacemaker in the rest of the world because you don't even have peace yourself. And so that's why God is most interested in helping us discover this magical moment of finding peace with God and that peace that comes from the Spirit of God within us. And that's what the Jewish people are missing They are assuming, and I understand why, okay, to be fair, I understand why they're looking for the world to be made right. But before the world is made right, the Bible is clear. God wants us to be made right with God. And that's all the way through the scriptures. It's not just a New Testament concept. Starting with Adam and Eve, they had peace and prosperity in the garden. They had everything they needed until they turned against God. Then they disobeyed his word. And then what did they have? Did they have peace with each other? No. Did they have peace with God? No. They were naked. They were ashamed. They were lying. They were hiding. They needed peace with God. They needed forgiveness. That was the most important thing. It didn't matter that the world was perfect around them. Without a personal relationship with God, it doesn't matter if your world environment is great and perfect. It won't change things. So God's most interested in this. And this is where, you know, many Jewish people and others— They miss, what does it mean to be the Prince of Peace? Yeah,
1: exactly. And I think of Billy Graham's little tract. My dad's passed away now, but when he was a younger man, he came to faith in Christ through a Billy Graham crusade. And it was through a little tract called Peace with God. Mm -hmm. And at the core of this idea of shalom is this concentric circle, right, of peace. We first have a peace with God. If we have a peace with God, then we can extend that prayer for reconciliation and for redemption outside of that. And ultimately, looking at these concentric circles of praying for the peace of Jerusalem means that we're praying for the peace of God to reign and to bring about that blessing. And so I think it's a remarkable teaching from the Scripture that uses Jerusalem at the center of this to help us focus our, our attention. You know, we, we're practical people. <laughs> we need practical examples of how to pray for peace and I think God includes pray for the peace of Jerusalem as an extreme good illustration of how you begin to pray for the peace of God to reign supreme all over the world, but starting, as the Great Commission says, starting in Jerusalem. So.
0: Amen. And, uh, and here's an example from the New Testament. We, we've been referring to a number of passages. Right. You said at the beginning, you know, how do we really pray for the peace of Jerusalem? And what are some of the passages that, that point us in this direction? We've been Mentioning several, but here's another one. This is Paul to the church in Philippi, uh, Philippians chapter four, and he begins in verse four: "Rejoice in the Lord always." Again, I will say, rejoice. And you say, "How can I rejoice always? What if I live in a war zone? What if I'm suffering a terrible disease? What if my wife has just passed away, or my husband, or what if my children are in rebellion, or what? You know, yeah, rejoice that we know God, that we have a relationship with God, that Mm -hmm. God will give us wisdom." to handle things, that he will give us peace. And that statement, rejoice in the Lord always, again, I will say rejoice, it's almost designed to provoke, like, what are you talking about? But he goes on, let your gentle spirit be known to all men because the Lord is near. So part of it is, how do you have a gentle spirit? Well, you'd have to have peace inside in order to be peaceful and gentle with other people. If you're raging inside and in turmoil, you're not going to be able to be gentle. And how would you do that? Well, because the Lord is near to you, that he's Hmm. in you, that he's not just distant and like, oh, God's over there. No, he's in me. He's, I'm walking with him. I'm abiding in him. My, his spirit is flowing through me. Hmm. Be anxious for nothing. Dude, what do you <laughs> mean? The world is full of horror. Like, what do you mean? Don't be anxious for anything. Okay, here's the answer. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Hmm. Meaning, yes, you're. there are t- really hard things going on in your life financially and personally and, and medically and other ways, relationally, so bring these things to God, but thank him that he can fix it. And even if he doesn't fix it, he can give you the grace to endure it. He can give you peace to ride through the storm. And then it says, as you do this, what will happen? Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, all comprehension, will guard your heart, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. That's just a part of it. But that's an amazing passage. And it really, in my view, it's the New Testament equivalent of Psalm 122. And it gives some more practical theological understanding. But it's not just theological. It's, I mean, it's theological in, in real practical terms. If we don't have a personal relationship with God and we're not walking with him day by day and having a spirit flow through us, there's no way we can experience peace. Hmm. And if we're not experiencing peace, then our home is not going to be peaceful. And we can't be peacemakers in our families or neighborhood or ministry or business or what have you. So I think that this issue of the Prince of Peace is such an important thing for all people, Mm -hmm. starting with Christians. If we don't understand what it means to be indwelt by the spirit of the Prince of Peace, we're really going to miss how to be his witness in this world. You can go and tell everybody the facts of the gospel, but if you're not walking in the spirit and experiencing the fruit of the spirit, part of which is peace, love, joy, peace, patience, kind of it's going to be hard to help people see that you know something they don't know that you have something that they don't have, that you have a relationship with the Prince of peace that they might want to consider learning more about. Well,
1: Joel, I, I couldn't agree more that it's so clear when you really start to study this word peace, shalom, that it is a core message. It is the core message of Christianity, of following Jesus, following the Prince of peace, you know, um, and it's very, very proactive. I think a lot of us inadvertently lump peace as sort of an absence of something, conflict, or as we've talked Mm -hmm. about war, but it is really proactive. It is engaging with a true reconciliation and a true restoration of wholeness for people. Mm -hmm. So again, this is I think it's so interesting that the more we dive into the scriptures and the more we see both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this message, we begin to see that God's love for all people, starting in Jerusalem, calls us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, so that we can begin to see the shalom that he desires worked out in our lives and in the lives of those around us and in the communities around us. So, Joel, it's so clear that this core message of shalom is so important for us as believers. Thank you for sharing that with us. And any any closing thoughts at this point?
0: Well, I just think that, uh, obviously, as someone who is a Jerusalemite now, who lives here and, you know, my family's here and my friend, uh, my community, yeah, I especially feel passionate about educating and mobilizing Christians all over the world to pray for the peace Mm. of Jerusalem. But I think what I love about this conversation, Carl, is I I think it is important to help people see sort of the 360 way of, of what does God mean by praying for the peace of Jerusalem. It absolutely means geopolitical peace and neighborhood security and all that, but it's much deeper than that. And it really goes to this issue of who is the Prince of Peace that Isaiah described was coming and then How are we supposed to relate to him? How do we find peace from the Prince of Peace, even in a world that isn't yet at the point where we have the peace that the Jewish people think we ought to have right now? I would love it, too. It is coming. But when you study the scriptures, both Old Testament and New, you realize that's not God's highest priority. It is a priority, but it's not his highest priority. First, he wants peace between us and God, and that can only come through Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And then he wants peace inside of us, no matter what's going on around us. Then he wants us to be peacemakers in our home. And then he wants us to begin to be peacemakers in our community and in our world, especially through the gospel, living it as well as preaching it. So I, I just think Amen. that many of us uh, around the world don't think about that, or maybe not ever connected those teachings about the Prince of Peace to to Psalm one twenty two, and and I think it's helpful for people to know. And I think I'm guilty of assuming sometimes when I say, "Hey, please pray for the peace of Jerusalem," hmm. that everybody knows what I mean. And I think it's important to unpack what does God mean, <laughs> and He means several other things, not just geopolitical peace, although that's certainly included. So I, I'm so glad we did this podcast. It almost think well, we should have led with this one when we started, but okay, we you know. Uh, it, so far, so good. You know?
1: It's such a pleasure and such a joy to talk to you about these things. You know, there's. There's nothing like diving into the scriptures and seeing those things that that truly shape the way we think at the Joshua Fund and the way you and your ministry have always approached the questions of peace and prosperity and service in the Holy Land. So thanks, uh, Joel, for this wonderful time of discussion about shalom and praying for peace in the epicenter.
0: Always love chatting with you, Carl. These are topics that uh, are near and dear to my heart, and I love that— that you want to explore them, and that so many people around the world are interested in, in having a place where they can listen to a conversation of, of things that they may maybe they're not hearing in their churches or in their Bible studies and thinking, this is helpful, this is encouraging. I can learn this, and I can share this with other people.
1: That is such a powerful teaching. And thanks to our listeners for providing us uh, inspiration to address that issue about praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And if you'd like to learn more about the Joshua Fund, visit our website, joshuafund.com. And there you can learn about what we are doing in the Middle East to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus, and how you can participate in the healing work we're doing in this critical region. And as always, check out our show notes for anything you heard on this podcast that you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter.
0: You're fearfully and wonderfully made. LifeAudio.com
1: to listen and subscribe.